0: There is this big space of ungoverned disorder where nothing is being done and we're just kind of holding up our hands and going, well, don't know what we could do. I'm
1: Jason Pack. And I'm Alex Hall-Hall. And we're the hosts of Disorder,
2: a brand new
1: podcast from Goalhanger, where we'll be connecting the dots using our own experiences, as well as talking to people at the forefront of global affairs. All seeking
3: to work out. Why are the world powers no longer coordinating as they once
2: did? The trouble is the United States, but also some European societies, are so divided. How did we get here? The modern version of the culture war in which the fight that matters is not the real one. It's about winning certain kinds of arguments online. What can we do to fix it? How do
0: you repair disorder? It's by becoming a community... Search Disorder wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello and welcome to the New Statesman podcast. I'm Deputy Editor Helen Lewis, and this week I talk to George Eaton and Raphael Baer about the year in view and force them to make some predictions for 2014. Then Ian Steadman and I talk about memes, along with our new recruit, Sean Anderson. by Raphael Baer, our political editor, and George Eaton, editor of the Staggers, to discuss the year in review. So, um, George, there's been a lot of kind of chatter this morning about the fact that the polls have shifted all over the place in the course of the year, but essentially Labour are pretty much back where they started, about six points ahead, mostly.
3: Yeah, they have a small but stubborn lead, and the big uh, uh, point in their favour is still all those Lib Dems who went over in 2010, some of them have gone back, but not enough Uh, for the Tories to close the gap and uh, not enough of their supporters have come back from UKIP.
2: Plus their structural advantage due to the fact the way the boundary changes work. Absolutely. They have to be seven points ahead, the Conservatives? Yeah, they they have to be
3: seven points ahead to, to get a majority
2: um, and Raph, you've written in your uh, column this week about the idea that both Cameron and also Miliband are kind of still in both in different ways in the shadows of previous leaders of their parties.
1: Yes, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, looking back over the year, the the, the biggest event for the Tories in many ways will have been uh, the death of Margaret Thatcher. And it was a very revealing moment, a very sad moment for, for conservatives who, who idolise uh, the Thatcher legacy. Um, I think my own view is that the the Tories sort of missed an opportunity there to reach out to quite significant numbers of people who don't idolise the Thatcher legacy. Uh, And it was very revealing, I think, that um, David Cameron at that time didn't feel able to really find any fault at all with with the 1980s and, and what margaret thatcher had done i think if he'd been in a stronger position in his party if he had a clearer identity that other tories could get behind he would have been able to say yes we, we cherish this great woman's legacy but also we recognize that there are communities uh, areas where the industrial base has, was hollowed out um there are whole whole groups of people who who sort of see margaret thatcher as essentially callous and vindictive Uh, as a figure in in British public life and say, okay, we we sort of understand where you're coming from and we're a bit sorry about that. And and without that, really, the Tories will never get through to those people. Going back to what George was saying, are sort of culturally inoculated against ever putting a cross next to the name of a Tory candidate. And that's why the Tories didn't get a majority in 2010. And that's why it really looks like they're not going to get a majority in 2015. And so he missed that chance. And then very quickly, I think, not obviously on the same scale because Tony Blair is still alive, but it is remarkable how much of Labour's year was the politics of the Labour Party were conducted in this constant dialogue with how Blairite are you or aren't you, should you be, shouldn't you be? Uh, And that really has run right up until... Um, up till the reshuffle. And then in the analysis of the reshuffle, the, you know Ed promoting lots of people who could be seen as Milibandais. It's all still so desperately trying to uh, make an accommodation with the past. And both leaders really badly need to start talking about the future more.
2: So this is this idea of the as a generation of 20 teners, really, that uh, uh, both parties are trying to bring on because they're kind of untainted by the... Yeah, the sort yeah, of the, sort of the clean of skins
1: who, who don't have on the Labour side, they're not sort of scarred by the very personal vendettas. I mean, the problem with, with the Labour ranks of pre-2010 is you'll have people who are briefed against, you have very personal animosities relating to the whole Blair-Brown civil war. The 2010 is less so. Um, so that's obviously an advantage if they look fresh and young and, and can get behind Ed Miliband. Ed but Miniband. the interesting
2: thing about the Tory 2010s is that some of those are quite, quite explicitly neo-Thatcherite. They're kind of the Britannia Unchained group of Quasi-Quartain, Pretty Patel, those kind of people so... Is that? Oh, is is Cameron more a hiatus? In well, that, in the interesting thing there, and George will, will
1: probably have some some thoughts about this, that they are they don't sit. The one thing about Tory 2010 is this, they don't naturally sit between the sort of modernisers and the traditionalists because a lot of them are socially very liberal and, and voted in favour of gay marriage, um, but they are ideologically zealously anti-state, um, so they are the sort of turbo Thatcherism. But much more in tune with some of the sort of twenty first century cultural social mores of modern Britain, they're not angry red faced white haired men in red braces and pinstripe shirts.
2: Which is more electorally where the country is, <laughs> right, George?
1: Yeah, it is
3: socially. I mean, in in that reforms like gay marriage are accepted and then quickly become part of part of a part of the culture. But the country certainly isn't in a libertarian position on the economy. Um, people fear private companies unregulated markets a lot more than they do the state and um, I'm forever pointing out to people that actually the public are to the left of Miliband on some of these issues they want the railways re-nationalized they want the energy utility companies re-nationalized they want maybe a 60% top rate of tax not just a 50% one Um, and that's the public in some ways have always been to the left of where so most conservatives imagine them to be. But certainly in the wake of the financial crisis, they are much more sceptical of the market than they were before. And that's not a surprise.
2: And you see even papers like The Mail do love a bit of banker bashing. Yes. I mean, that is now a kind of accepted category of somebody that just as much as you know, you might derive the single mother, the kind of fat cat banker is now firmly... In their sights. Before we move on to asking you for a couple of predictions, I just want to talk generally. There's has been this big narrative that's been dominated now for maybe three months since Miliband's conference speech and the energy price freeze about this kind of the Tories were winning the argument on the macro economy, the big thing, the deficit, the debt, and then but Labour, the party that the polls kind of come across, you know, you are on the side of people like me. Do you think that narrative will hold into next year, or do you think that's going to change? Either of you?
1: I think it is very very difficult for the tories to to claw some of that back i think their, their their strongest claim is to be uh the uh slightly heartless accountants who are just whipping the country into shape because god damn it that's what it needs but they won't so they will never be there's never going to be affection or compassion there i still think they can do okay on that if labor you know fall apart for whatever reason um but just because of the, the sort of the tax cut for millionaires, the cabinet of millionaires, that there's something of now. I think Cameron and Osborne are so associated with representing moneyed elitism that they will never be sort of authentically of the people they're claiming to represent. I don't think that stops them from possibly forming another government, but I think it stops them from being seen as normal people.
2: And where, George, does this leave the Lib Dems and their kind of electoral strategy? Are they still the kind of, you know, the, the chaser that you take to, to dilute whatever the other two parties are offering? Is that still where they're positioning themselves?
3: Well, they are trying to position themselves as the centrist party. So those of you who don't trust Labour and the economy and those of you who, who think the Conservatives is just for the rich, vote for us. And they have this you know, this mantra, uh, fair, uh, fair society and, and strong economy. Um, I actually I don't think that is going to sort of bring back the voters they've lost to Labour. I don't think it's going to win them any new voters. Their best hope really is fighting the election as fifty-seven by-elections. They point out, you know, where they and Eastleigh was the was of course the big example of this in in this year. Um, you know, where they have uh, local candidate, where they have lots of councillors, where they're dug in, where the Tories have lost votes to UKIP, um, they can still win. And in fact. Um, in their more optimistic moments they say well you know in some seats the Tories won narrowly in 2010 could we leapfrog them because UKIP have searched and of course if Zach Goldsmith resigns over Heathrow which I don't think he will actually uh, at least not uh, before the election that would be quite a good test of that.
2: Hmm. Okay well I'm gonna now do a little segment I like to call "Raf and George give me hostages to fortune where I ask you much as we did on the Sunday politics about your predictions for next year so first off will Scotland be independent by this time next year?
3: No No, and um, I think it'll be at least a double-digit defeat.
2: Oh, confident. Who will come top in the EU?
0: There is this big space of ungoverned disorder where nothing is being done and we're just kind of holding up our hands and going, well, don't know what we could do. I'm Jason Pack.
2: And I'm Alex
1: Hall-Hall. And we're the hosts of Disorder. A brand-new podcast from Goalhanger where we'll be connecting the dots using our own experiences as well as talking to people at the forefront of global affairs. All seeking to work out, why are the world
3: powers no longer coordinating as they once did?
2: The trouble is the United States, but also some European societies are so divided. How did we get here? The modern version of the culture war in which the fight that matters is not the real one. It's about winning certain kinds of arguments online.
0: What can we do to fix it? How do you repair disorder? It's by becoming a community. Search disorder wherever
1: you get your podcasts.
2: Elections in the summer.
1: Labour because of the turnout in the county council, county the local elections on the same day, which were in quite Labour urban areas. Labour, UKIP second.
2: See, this is I. I said I already said UKIP on this because I think that lots of Tory voters will decide to have their little protest vote against and then come back and then probably come Labor back. Labour will get out the vote. It's too important. Okay. Well, there we go. This is going to be. This is going to be a very exciting May. It's well mildly exciting no. May. Um, who will be ahead in the polls this time next year?
1: Best guide to the near future is the recent past. It'll be the same. It's been the same all the way through.
2: Still six points. Labour six points ahead. Very
1: little change. Four to six points. Yeah, I agree with that.
2: Okay. And finally, who will leave the cabinet this year? William Hague. Oh, out of left field!
1: I made that up. I have no idea.
2: <laughs> Go on, I'm, going say, have I'm going to say. I'm going to say Let's face it. <laughs> it? <laughs> I'm
1: going
3: to say Jeremy Hunt actually, because the NHS is what is giving people in Downing Street sleepless nights. Yeah, that's not bad. And. At all. If and if someone's going to have to take the flak, it will be the health secretary
2: I'm going to pick in Duncan Smith more out of hope than expectation <laughs> um, and on that note uh, happy Christmas George and Rev
0: and to you thank you
2: I'm joined by Ian Stebman and our new recruit, Sean Anderson, to talk about memes. Okay, Ian, start with me from the very, very beginning. What is a meme?
0: A meme is kind of like, well, we know that uh, living things have genes. And Richard Dawkins, who you may have heard of, is a sort of prominent biology scientist. Man. I hear they
2: like him on the internet. They yes. love him on the
0: internet. Um, and he loves them very much. And he coined this term meme in the 70s i don't know exactly which year but it was a book the selfish gene and it's the idea that ideas propagate and spread and interact and intermarry and change in the same way that genes do
2: and there are units of information essentially that can be passed around and traded around in the same way that genes can okay so the reason we're having this conversation is because i've had to sit on that desk with people doing doge Ah, at me (laughs) for about a month uh, to anybody who is, you know, a normal person, can you explain what what is Doge?
0: What is Doge? Uh, <laughs> um, what isn't Doge? It's, is it? it's very funny is what it is, and I don't know why. Um, like most memes, it's a very silly thing. It's an image of a, a Shibu, which is a type of Japanese sort of husky dog that is looking at the camera in a funny way.
2: It um, doesn't look very clever. I think that's what's to say. Yeah, like naive and trusting and a bit fat and not very... But
0: also curious, I think. Yeah and it's it's just got a cute little face that you kind of want to pinch the cheeks on and um it and people put funny words around it in comic sans brightly colored comic sans font like wow very meme much such doge meme. such yeah. doge um that that's doge and it yeah. makes me feel like an idiot for finding it funny because now I'm saying it out loud and it it just. And that you quite a
2: lot of the last month laughing at a picture of a slightly stupid-looking yeah. dog with some misspelled. More, more than
0: it. most things that are have meant to be deliberately funny, like you know, ac- uh, comedians spend hours trying to come up with jokes and stuff, and I don't laugh at that any near as much. as that a stupid dog?
3: It
1: right, could almost
0: be part of the definition. As soon as you start to think about what I mean, is it all falls apart, and you're like,
2: yeah, what have sense. I done? Um, Sean, do you have a favourite meme?
0: Uh, i my favorite meme is in fact uh richard dawkins richard dawkins again uh standing in front of an audience of um some uh famous people and uh just saying memes over and over again so he yeah, yeah he gave this really electronic. kind of
2: crazy talk and kind I of show where he gave quite I don't know, it was a really long setup where he gave quite an interesting but sort of slightly dry talk for about six minutes. And then he suddenly wandered off stage, wandered back on with like an electric clarinet mm-hmm. or something. Oh, it's, it's And then got a started name. showing videos of um of like an owl with lasers coming out of its eyes yeah. and his own head splitting open and stuff like that. Which, you know, he is Richard Dawkins. He did invent memes. That's kind of <laughs> that's kind of allowed, I guess. King of the content. memes. But I guess the point about memes is that I mean I I find them really interesting as part of this kind of outgrowth of internet culture, so Mm. There are a way for people who might or not otherwise have a lot in common to signal a kind of group membership. So everybody knows, like, what is it? It's actual advice mallard, for example. Which yeah, is a, a picture of a duck that's very popular on Reddit with something like, you know, went to open cupboard, stuff fell on me. Yeah, and it's then and then everybody confession goes, bear, um, yeah. where it's
0: a picture of a bear and people write confessions over the top of it. Um, it, that, that's it. I mean, it's just very nice sky boss and stuff like yeah. that. So
2: it's a it's a way of people sharing, like like you say, very small units of information, like only maybe a sentence or two, in a way that it's like, the, uh, the whole community accepts. It's
0: like society-wide in jokes. It's like in jokes that we're all in on. They're just bizarre things that, like you know, in jokes don't really make sense a lot of the time and can be a bit bizarre, but they just make sense and they're funny because you and your friends happen to be at a certain place in a certain time and experience the same things, so it makes sense. We as a society have created these ridiculous in-jokes that don't make sense, but we still like them.
2: You say we as a society, but if you go home, either of you, to your parents or whoever your loved ones, this is Christmas, and you go, wow, such Christmas, many presents. They won't Very get happy.
0: But they're, capable, they're, still capable, they're even though my parents are pretty inept when it comes to the internet, I mean, my dad basically plays free, free cell on, on the computer and that's all he does. Um, I could still probably explain it to them in less than 30 seconds and they don't understand it. They probably understand it as like, oh, it's like in the 80s when we were all laughing at where's the beef. It's that kind of thing. Um,
2: well, I guess the other thing that's interesting is that so many of these are kind of community-driven. I mean, you're probably both too young, but I remember the horrible times of the Budweiser advert and the what's I remember thing? that. Okay. I remember the Budweiser Oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> I don't know, you're probably too young to drink then. It's, it's yeah, a really yeah. horrible story. But they were, I feel like, in that kind of, I guess we've had the go-compare horror mm. and the meerkat. But it does feel to me very much like it used to be something that was driven by particularly by adverts, and, yeah. and by big brands, and it's much harder to do that now. You know, Reddit is, is requires a translation guide essentially if you just stumbled in from Mars to to
0: do it. Well, I mean, one of my favourite things on Twitter uh, this year has been everyday sexism becoming this really popular thing. It's 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 almost a common phrase now. In, Britain to just say like, oh, you know, hashtag everyday sexism.
2: Yeah, and there's lots of kind of spin-offs from that as well. There's mm. kind of there's everyday racism, everyday ableism, everyday um, victim blaming. it's and, and But that's quite interesting because that's kind of going the other way around. So that's almost now becoming a brand. And actually mm. you, people can use that to point out a lot of stuff that it wasn't originally used someone for. Someone should make t-shirts. Someone should make t-shirts. We're, We're, sure. still at We're, stage.
0: Sure. We're still at a stage where I think when someone says hashtag something out loud, there's kind of people go over, oh, Jesus. But you can feel it changing. People aren't as judgmental of that as they were
2: no i know that's it's going a, to become a common thing there's a there's a buzzfeed post today about all the things that nathan barley predicted and how they've come true <laughs> and i feel that they are inexorably moving closer towards that state um in best meme of the year oh it's Doge. Are it just is. saying that? This is like the no, cold where gen- people just say the last thing. like They go, who's I, the best doctor? And they just name the last one because it's all I'm, they can remember. It's
0: not even the last one. It genuinely is the best one this year. Um, there's only, I tend not to laugh at a lot of stupid, especially Reddit ones, which I just don't really get. Um, but those genuinely makes me laugh. I think, I think it's superior to lolcats in every way which is controversial, but Lolcats was rubbish, always. So. But the
2: horrible thing about that is that there's a whole rewriting of like the Bible in Lolcats, and now we're going to have to yeah. have, inevitably next year, we'll have the Doge works of Shakespeare, and the Doge of Venice, yeah. Doge <laughs> The Doge, Doge of Venice. <laughs> it's just going to go, well, actually, that would be nice, the Doge of Venice, that would bring it full circle back around to wow. a literary thing. Uh, much don't, holy. Don't tweet that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm saving that. Thank you very much, Ian and Sean. you've been listening to the new statesman podcast you can find us every week at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast or on itunes our theme music is devil with the devil for the underscore orchestra licensed under creative commons